All right, good morning. Uh, my name's Josh. Just joking. Um, we have the special privilege this morning of, of being led into the Word by our very own Ken and Mary Himes. They've been part of Northwest Hills since 1977. Ken was on staff for how many years? 17. For 17 years, he was on staff here as, I believe, the family's pastor. and Pretty member. much everything, but stay away, I stay away from money. Everything <laughs> but money. So um, Ken has a, has a strong vested interest uh, in Northwest Hills. They've got a great word for us on marriage this morning, so I want to pray for them and just welcome them as they uh, teach from God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the 17 years plus many that Ken and Mary have been faithful to Northwest Hills and faithful to your calling. Lord, I thank you for their ministry, uh, friends of the family, Lord, for the, the many families that they've touched through that. Lord, I thank you so much for their heart and wanting to see people um, through marriage relationship love and know you better. God, I pray for them this morning. I pray that their words would uh, bring forth clarity and encouragement as we are seeking you in our lives together. We love you in your name. Amen. You know, last month when Ken was asked to speak during this time, we sat down and we were praying and we were thinking about it individually and together, and we really sensed that the Lord wanted us to talk about marriage. I mean, we just had Joss's excellent teachings on marriage from Genesis, and so it seemed an apropos time to just kind of extend that even some more, since that's one of our favorite topics. And besides, we have not talked on marriage at Northwest Hills for a very long time, believe it or not. (laughs) Not here, but other places. And when the topic became marriage, we knew we had to do it together. So if you're not married, just hold your horses. We're going to be saying a lot. That applies to relationships in general. And all of you are in some kind of relationship, hopefully some kind of close relationship. You have parents, you have siblings, you have friends, you have coworkers, you have our fellow fellow churchgoers here. And so all of us are in a relationship and we'll be saying some things that really apply to that. And certainly we will be saying something about our relationship to God, your relationship to God. Well, when we started thinking about this, we asked ourselves What is it that has made the difference in our relationship? We started out rough. We didn't know anything. You know, we didn't come from Christian homes. It was rough. But what is it that has made the most difference in our relationship? What is it that's kept us on track and kept us loving and growing and enjoying each other? We, like you, were examples of God's grace and mercy. And he's taught us some lessons along the way that we hope will encourage you to persevere and grow in your relationship. And so this is what we came up with that we're going to focus on. The first one, you can put those up, yeah. The first one is put God first. Pursue on an individual level a deeply personal relationship with God. Two, build time in your relationship to connect Heart, soul, body, and mind. Three, learn to handle trouble spots. And four, do ministry together, serve the body of Christ and our community in some way together. And these are the lessons we're going to focus on today. We'll expand those. So in two weeks, uh, Mary and I are going to celebrate our 45th wedding anniversary. (laughs) 
And there's a lot in here that have long marriages. I know the right. Binnies just celebrated their 49th, yeah. and I'm sure some longer. <laughs> so um, thanks be to God by his grace. Um, so we're going to head down to Ashland to see My Fair Lady in a couple of weeks. Found out that it's playing down there. Well, that, that play was popular back when we were dating. And, in fact, uh, during the course of our dating life, I once sang to Mary on the street where you lived. And I won't regale you with that right now because I would choke up. So those of you who know the song, <laughs> we were right, driving down the road between Jacksonville and Bedford, and I sang it to her in the car. So it was part of our, part of our courtship. Um, so when I found out that it was playing in Ashland in a couple of weeks, I, this is like some months back, I jumped at the chance to take her to see that again. I guess I'm a hopeless romantic. Like most couples, uh, who is that? <laughs> Somebody's got to be, right? Okay. Um, but like most couples, we faced our challenges. Uh, we weren't brought up in Christian homes. Uh, we had moral backgrounds, you know, reasonably so. Um, occasional church attendance, yeah. Uh, but not a model of Christ-centeredness. Um, so just in, thanks, just in case you think we're coming from some cushy background, think again. That's not where we come from. So... Uh, Mary's parents were blessed with a lifelong marriage, and I was brought up in a second marriage since I was seven years old. So I, I have every kind of sibling you can name. I have a full sibling, half sibling, step sibling, and adopted siblings. Okay, so think about that. Quite, a, quite an interesting uh, Brady bunch. <clears throat> so Mary and I met at, when we were 18 years old here at Oregon State. Uh, we were fairly new Christians, and as our relationship blossomed, we knew we wanted to have a Christian marriage. We were hungry for models, but we had a hard time finding them. Um, we were married at age 21, just before our senior years of college. And uh, I went to our pastor uh, here in town and asked uh, for premarital counseling. And his reply uh, kind of stymied me. He said, uh, why? Are, are you having problems? And, uh, and I was kind of flabbergasted by that. I mean, we love the man, but in those days, the concept of preparation for marriage consisted of a meeting with the pastor to work out the details of the ceremony. And counseling meant you had a big problem, and that wasn't considered very Christian. It was just for the people in trouble, not for people who wanted to grow and develop. So we pretty much had to stumble along on our own at that time. Uh, we studied books. We read the Bible. We learned what we could from other couples. But even though we loved God and we loved each other, our early years were rough, as Mary mentioned. Uh, and we had to focus on dealing with differences, trying to adjust to each other's personalities, uh, preferences, and habits. And I have to say that over the years, we've hurt each other deeply, and we've also blessed each other deeply. You've experienced the, the whole range of things you didn't think you even knew about before. But all along the way, I have to say God has been faithful to us. So what's the problem? Why are relationships so challenging and sometimes difficult? I mean, like, God, God, like Ken said, if you love God and you love each other, why isn't it easier? Why doesn't everybody just get along? It feels like you're swimming against the current sometimes. And to look for an answer for that, we're going to go back to the foundation. We're going to go back to Genesis and look at Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, that's a passage that focuses on the fall of man through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And I want us to pick up on what happened to the relationship between God and between Adam and Eve right after the fall. How did they behave? Uh, what was the conversation? How did it go? So beginning in verse 7, 
We'll read it together. I mean, I'll read it. (laughs) Then the eyes of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made a covering for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So right here you can see for the first time in human relationship, fear and shame have entered and have become uh, and is being expressed. Adam said, I was afraid. And they felt compelled to cover themselves. They took actions to protect themselves. And well, they might fear because their relationship with God had been broken, their spiritual relationship. He was no longer their lifeline, and they had to stand before him in their own merit. And they realized they were insufficient and would, not, and would ultimately die spiritually and physically because they could not be in his presence. They were insufficient. Well, what about, you know, and it took the, the relationship was broken, and it would take the life and death of Jesus Christ to repent to uh, bring that relationship, restore that relationship again. As their conversation unfolds, it becomes clear that disruption has entered the human-to-human relationship also. In their fearfulness, not only did they hide from God, but they hid from each other. They no longer felt safe in their transparency. And then Adam began shifting the blame to Eve, and Eve shifted it to the serpent. They were trying to deflect the blame. They were trying to say, oh, don't look at me. Look at her. Look at the serpent. They were were not taking full responsibility. It's not my fault. It's our fault, you know, group fault. And in the process, they were disparaging each other by trying to protect themselves. Let's call this new behavior hiding and hurling. Different ways of attempting to protect ourselves that showed up at the fall of man. And this behavior is fueled by fear. Genesis 3.10 said, you know, the emphasis on I was afraid. Much of our behavior really is still fueled by fear. And, but it's fear that we often keep hidden from ourselves. We cover it over with lots of layers in ourselves and toward others. I think of Psalm 139, 23 and 24, and it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Right here you can see a connection between anxiousness and fear and hurtful ways toward other people. Because Adam is the example. 
there he was. He was trying to protect himself. He wasn't out thinking, I'm going to hurt Eve, you know, I'm going to get her. And, but in his own protection of his own self, in his own inadequacy, he turned to blame her. And that wasn't loving. There it is. It's gone. You know, these same things are showing up in our relationship today. Hiding can look like this. It can look like excuses, rationalizing, denying, ignoring, avoiding. Leave me alone. I don't want to talk about it. It can be joking all the time. Hiding can. It can be being shy. It can be being tough. I could care less. Anything you say, dear, whatever you want, it could be putting on a front of being capable and confident. Presenting ourselves as innocent. I didn't know. Can't get away with that, you know. (laughs) It could be lying and it could be leaving. That's the ultimate in hiding. Leaving a committed relationship. Hurling shows up in our relationship today by sarcasm, criticism, put-downs, disrespectful tone of voice or words, by blaming, scorekeeping, labeling, judging, bad language, you always, you never, bringing up the past, invalidating or trivializing, out-talking or out-arguing someone, and it can be shoving, hitting, and physical abuse. We see this, the extremes of this running rapid in our society today. Physical abuse, divorce, we see it running rapid. And it started back there at the fall. So the same dynamic is affecting our relationships and our marriages today. So how do we turn this around? What's the, what's the, what's the so to speak, the antidote to this devolution of relationships, the hiding and the hurling that flow out of a disrupted relationship with God? Well, an obvious point would be to pursue on an individual level a deeply personal relationship with God, to turn that whole thing around. And so I want to to emphasize right off the bat the importance of a personal relationship with God that you sustain in a daily, moment-by-moment kind of way. Um, For Mary and me, our personal times with God are vital. Time when we listen to God's voice individually in the scriptures and by his spirit as we walk through the day. You need to set aside time each morning and during the day to listen to God throughout the day, to stop from time to time during the day to check in with him. Lord, what's going on inside of me? What do I need to yield to you? How do I need to trust you again in this situation? Marital problems often come from the, from the notion that they're seeking from their partner what only God can provide. Only God is always loving, always present, never failing. Your spouse may be wonderful, but guess what? They're not always loving, always present, never failing. They're human. So when you expect divinity from your partner and you get humanity, don't be all surprised by the disappointments and frustrations that you feel. It's going to happen. And you married a person who's different from you on purpose, right? You wanted the differences. Now, what are you going to do with them when they don't actually match up just the way you wanted? And that's where you've got to turn to God. Depend on him alone. Just, I mean, this is, these are tough lessons to learn because everything within us says, eh, I want her to do this for me, you know. Um, You've got to turn to God, depend on him alone, and don't think you have the right to demand anything from your partner. 
You need to learn to give your spouse as much of God as you know how instead of pressuring your partner to meet my needs. How often do I hear, but just trying to have you meet my needs. As if, and legitimate as that may sound, the demand that says I have to have it my way because it seems right. And the Bible says they're supposed to do this right. Uh, and if they don't, then what? Turn to God. So over time, when Mary and I fought, uh, I learned slowly, painfully, still working on it, I learned to listen for God's voice about my own fault in the matter. Now, I may have felt I was only 5% at fault, you see. No, I felt it was only 5% mine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's the tangle, isn't it? Uh, but when I obeyed that voice, the Lord saying to me, yeah, she, blah, 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 but you know, you still did X, Y, Z in it. Yeah, okay. Um, and when I finally admitted that, and then I turned to her and apologized for my part, um, it was amazing to watch God soften Mary's heart and speak to her about maybe where she could help the situation. And we were often able to resolve the problem because we got our priorities realigned. It was about trusting God. So one of the things we learned uh, during the course of our marriage as time went along is to, is to read books because we were having trouble you know, with our, we didn't have backgrounds, and we tried to find people that, we, that would mentor us, but that was tough to find. So we found ourselves reading things, and in the 80s, 70s, and 80s, material started coming out on marriage that was helpful. One of those was in 1985, a book by Larry Crabb called The Marriage Builder. And in that book, he makes the distinction between desire and demand. And a desire is something you want and can get without other help. I can always choose to be nice to Mary, no matter what she does to me. But to get Mary to do something that, you know, I don't have that control, that becomes a demand. So when a desire, however legitimate it may seem, ends up as a demand, something that I'm requiring for my satisfaction, then we're in trouble. So a desire is something you want and can get without outside help, and a demand is something you want and can't be sure to get without outside help. And that's what easily leads us to manipulate and pressure others when that desire becomes a demand. We'll have more to say about that. And hiding and hurling often become means to try to get, or techniques to try to get our partner to come through uh, for that, des- that demand that we're making of them. Now, I, in the course of my ministry with Friends of the Family for the last 19 years plus, um, one of the things that I, I get to do is to work with couples in counseling settings. And it's quite common to find a situation like this, and I won't be telling anybody's particular story, but it's, it's quite common to find a situation in which a couple comes in, and, uh, and typically, the, I mean, I'm not singling out this particular kind of problem, but it is an example of the problem. Uh, the guy is failing to do his job as a husband for whatever reason, and the woman is very upset about the matter and goes on and on about how upset she is about the matter. And the guy's kind of backpedaling, and yeah, I should, and yeah, I should, I should, and I was trying to, you know. And you have this whole tangle going on when one is demanding from the other, and vice versa. This thing tends to happen. So I had a couple not long ago come in, and the first session was spent kind of sorting all this kind of stuff out, seeing what the situation was. And then she wanted an individual appointment to come back before we met again as a couple. So she came in, and uh, she spent the first half hour going on and on and on about how he was failing in this and failing in that. And and legitimately, she had beefs because he wasn't holding up his end of the thing. A lot of pressure on the family medically, educationally, young children, financially, and all of that. And she wanted him to step up and do more. 
and understandably so. And, uh, but the problem was everything she was looking for was outside her control. What hope can you offer a person who wants everything outside of their control? I mean, what are you going to do? Well, gently I tried to help her say those are all legitimate things, but what do you have under your control? When is it different? What could you do? Is he ever this and that that's positive? Could you look for some of that and try to find a way to reinforce it? Okay, I know I need to turn it over to God more. You know, so she struggled with that. Came back the next next visit to report that she had just really turned a new corner. She decided to put the Lord first, and she was going to seek from Him and start treating her husband, no matter what he did. Whenever he had, she had the opportunity to treat him kindly, even if he was not coming through for her. And he began to say how things had changed, and he was much more eager to help her out now because he felt like he could please her. Before, he felt like nothing he did would measure, measure up to what she was looking for. And so he now had the freedom to move toward her because it was less bristly on her end. So here's a person who learned the importance of making that shift from saying, I'm no longer going to demand from you what only God can give me. I'm going to turn to God and receive what he has to offer because he alone is always present for me. So that leads me to the point to say, to be ready to, in, in, in relationship with your partner, as you seek God, you also need to be ready to endure whatever pain is necessary so that Christ can be formed in you. You learn what it's like to, be, to treat another person kindly who's been mean to you. That's the way Jesus walked. So learning to do that. So allowing yourself to endure whatever pain is necessary so that Christ can be formed in you and your partner. Okay, our second point was build time into your relationship to connect. You know, when I was thinking over again that question of what had been important to us in our relationship over the years, I realized how much effort we put into connecting. And I really credit Ken for that. I mean, isn't it easier just to kind of be parallel, live parallel lives? I mean, if you're going to live closer lives, I mean, that way if you live parallel lives, you're going to avoid trouble spots. You're going to, you know, not things, issues are not going to come up as much. You're going to keep the peace more, the seeming peace by, by keeping living in parallel lives. But the problem with that is that it leads to more and more distance between you until there is no longer a relationship. You hear the, the, the uh, people say sometimes we have nothing more in common. Well, that's because they didn't work on, on um, connecting in their relationship. They just let it drift apart. It's the easy way. Or some couples just connect over their kids and then the rest is an empty shell. Well, after I thought of that, isn't that a way of hiding, though? Think about that. That's a way of hiding, to drift apart and just live parallel lives. And I thought of the scriptures that characterize the relationship between God and his people as a marriage. Like in Revelation uh, 21, he talks about the church being the bride and he being the bridegroom. So there's a picture there in our relationship with him of marriage, and we can learn some lessons from that. So I asked myself, how does God describe the way that we're to stay connected with him? Maybe that'll give us a picture of how we're to stay connected with each other. 
And I want to read to you Luke 10:27. It says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind." That's how he's telling us to connect to him. We're to connect to him with our heart, which is our emotions, with our soul, which is our spirit, with our strength, which is our body, and with our mind, which are our thoughts and our intellect. That's how he's asking us. I think this pattern is how we are to connect with each other in marriage. Well, what about connecting to the Lord with our emotions? What does he tell us there? Maybe this will tell us something about marriage. And, you know, I, I have to tell you, the word that came up in my mind over and over, and I know there's a lot more, was delight. Now, some of you are going, oh, I love my husband, but delight, or I love my wife, but delight, you know. You know, we, that's gone. That used to be at the beginning. Well, he tells us over and over to delight in him and that he delights in us. If that seems like a tall order, I want you to picture uh, with me uh, a couple that you may have seen along your life path. I know I've seen some couples that have been married for a long time, and they have something special about them. And obviously, since they've been married for a long time, they know each other well. They haven't managed to hide their faults from each other all these years. They have those faults. And they've decided to accept the other person's faults and to love them in spite of it. And they've perhaps chosen to think positive thoughts about the other person. They don't just focus on the negative, on the faults, but they've taken, they've chosen to take the time to also see and know the very positive parts of that person and to be thankful for them and for the contributions that they had made to their life, realizing that a spouse is a gift from God. If that spouse is a truly horrible person, it's still, still God can teach you to draw closer to him in that difficulty. There is a gift somewhere in there. But... This couple, they verbalize these appreciations and they verbalize these positives to each other. And you can see that special quality, which when I thought about it, I would call it uh, delight. They delight in each other. So there are couples out there that show us the way, and God has shown us the way. These are couples that have achieved that. And not all of us will get there, but all of us are on a journey. One of the ways that Ken and I build emotional connection is that we really pay attention to to greetings and partings. I've seen some couples, you know, the partner comes home, whichever one comes last, and the other one's there, and there's hardly a grunt, hardly an acknowledgement. That's not building positive connection because you've been apart all day. So, So what I do is, I and I used to not do this, but I do this now because I want this positive connection is I will get up from whatever I'm doing, and I will go and greet Ken, and I will smile, and I will give him eye contact. And, of course, we give a hug and a kiss, too, you know. 
We won't, de- we won't demonstrate for you. He, he, he wanted to demonstrate, but I wouldn't let him. <laughs> I said, no, no, no. Anyway, so, so anyway um, that's one of the things that we do. And, you know, we have, we have a kind of a, a practice between us that we don't talk about any problems for half an hour after we come together uh, and we've been apart for the day. Because there's been too many times when we started off on the wrong foot. So we wait and we make that positive connection first. You know, wouldn't you be, wouldn't you feel so good if someone were glad to see you? I mean, don't we all want people to be glad to see us? You know, and you may not be glad, I don't know. But <laughs> you can, uh, there have been times when Fake I have Fake it until you make it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> It will start creating a positive feeling between you, the two of you. And we keep dating. We've always dated. I know. We just always did. It's been different when we had kids and had to get babysitters. And, and now, uh, when it's just the two of us, it's, it's, there's not a lot of barriers in the way. In fact, last, a week ago, Friday, we, were, we, had, our di- we had dinner out together. And we went to Finley Wildlife Refuge. We like to be out in nature. And it was a wonderful time. There was a magical lighting in the sky. There was nobody out there. Beautiful vistas. And we rode, we rode in the car to different points and we walked. And it was just a really lovely evening together. So keep dating. And dating is not that time when you're talking about problems and you're talking about problems with the kids. It's a time when you're just having fun together. So make fun together. And then what about how we uh, connect to each other in soul and spirit? You know, for many couples, to pray together and share spiritually together is very difficult because they're, very, they're more used to being transparent with God than they are with each other. They feel more safe with God. And when you try to bring that together in prayer and other scriptural the other spiritual things you might do together, they feel pretty uncomfortable, so they just don't do anything. Well, that's not the answer. The answer is to start seeing where someplace where you can make a spiritual contact. Maybe right now all you can do is say something that you help, that helped you from the morning message, or that helped you from your community group, something that you know God was putting his finger on. So we, so we stay in contact spiritually. Right now it just kind of flows naturally. We don't make a big deal out of it. Another way, it said, was with your strength, with your body. And there's a lot that can be said about, in marriage about that. but You can look at the scriptures. But certainly it says to be present. It means to be present for each other. I mean, no no relationship is going to happen if you don't stay present in each other's lives. If If you're out there all the time, you're too busy working, you're doing this, you're too busy with your friends, you're too busy that, it's not going to happen. Just like it doesn't happen with the Lord. If you don't take time for him, it won't happen. You're growing closer to him, you're knowing him better. It's the same thing. And what about our minds and our thoughts? In our day, it's very important for us to share our plans for the day, and to share what actually happened at the end of the day. Because, you know, I didn't, here again, I credit Ken. 
that wasn't anything that I would have done. You know, my day is done. Now we're back together. Okay. And, but he wanted to share. And so we did. And I see the value of that over the years because I know what's happening to him in his life. And he knows what's happening to me in my life. He knows what I faced at work or the criticism that I got and the way I handled it or didn't handle it very well. He knows the good thing that happened. He knows all of that. And I know all of that about him because we share a lot about our day. But I do want to make one disclaimer. Since he does counseling, he does not share counseling names and specifics with me. I don't know those. So if you're telling Ken personal problems, he does not tell them to me. He might say, he might say uh, how many people he counseled with. He might say it was a, a marriage issue. He might say it's a parent-child issue, whatever, and I, I'll know that. And he, he might tell me, boy, it was rough. You know, this, this couple was really at each other. It was like World War II. He might tell me that. But he won't tell me names. He won't tell me specifics. And I, I'm glad and you're glad, I'm sure. So if he knows it, don't think I know it. <laughs> okay, we've, we've put out in the lobby, we've put some couple time questions. And these were given to us by uh, Bill Zip, who's on our board. And it is uh, just some few questions that you can ask each other. If you don't know how to get started on connection, a few questions you can ask each other each week. What brought you joy this week? What was something that was hard this week? What does our calendars look like this coming week? What's one thing I can do for you in the coming week? Is there anything you would like to discuss? How can I pray for you this week? If you just take the time to ask each other those simple questions and answer them, you're going to learn a lot more and draw closer together. Okay. Excuse me. So let's move, again, if you want copies of those questions, I know it's kind of flashed by real quick. They're on a, I think, kind of an orange colored sheet out there in the lobby and the information desk, so feel free to stop by and pick one up on your way out. So our third point is that you need to learn to handle trouble spots. Now, going back to uh, My Fair Lady, Henry Higgins has a line in there, a song he sings, Why can't a woman be more like a man? (laughs) Men are so decent, such regular chaps. Ready to buck you up whenever you are glum? Why can't a woman be a chum? Okay, and, you know, some of you guys may feel like that one. You know, what's wrong with this woman? Why can't she just, you know, get it together? And some of you ladies may wonder, why doesn't he just get you after all this time together? I mean, you'd think by now, do I have to tell him every time? Shouldn't he just understand for once? So there's that frustration of how do we handle those trouble spots when, when things don't seem to be kind of gelling in the relationship at this point in time. Well, our response is to learn to stay committed to your partner despite your disappointments. You are going to have difficulty. Uh, I mean, it it's, it's, uh, goes without saying that most couples, I've heard numbers in the upper 90% percentages, have what we would call 5 to 10 irreconcilable differences. You are different people. You have differences. And that's the way it is. And after 45 years of marriage and three years of dating, Mary's still going to be that way, you know, and I'm still going to be this way. There's a lot of things you can adjust, but there's stuff that isn't going to go away. So and you can have a very good relationship even with some differences. Well, that's, and that's the, that's the point, is that there are differences. They are irreconcilable. And if you think leaving this person to go find somebody else is going to be better, guess what? 
Eventually, you're going to find a bunch more irreconcilable differences, and you're going to carry the baggage that you carried from the previous relationship into the new one, and you still haven't learned how to solve differences. So why not put that same effort into your relationship right now and learn to figure that out? Life takes you through many peaks and pits. You're going to see each other at your very godly best and at your most evil worst. And that's the nature of it. These are opportunities to demonstrate God's unconditional love, to learn to forgive, don't demand payback, take the log out of your own eye before you try to remove the splinter from your partner, keep on working on the relationship, learn communication and conflict management skills, and use them. There's another book that we found very, very useful over the last 15 years. It's called A Lasting Promise by Scott Stanley and others. That's also listed on the sheet out there. Um, and it is excellent. It is research-based material coming out of Den- University of Denver that integrates wonderfully with the scriptures, and he's taken the job to put those two together. And I see Kevin down here. And I, uh, if you want to order the book, there's Kevin right here. You can stop by, and he'll take care of you. Okay. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> So just an excellent resource, and we also teach that material uh, in our uh, Tools for Two uh, uh, workshop that we do together as a couple around different places in town and different churches. So excellent resource. But just some practical things we've learned, too, like uh, don't talk about problems within a half hour of your bedtime. You know, just that's the time to chill out. Stop. We we learned to turn off, you know, if the dishes weren't done by 9 o'clock, leave them. You know, wind down for the day. Uh, stuff like that. Don't do stuff. Uh, don't ambush each other. Honey, could we just talk about it? And then you pick the worst time because you got triggered by something. And I can guarantee that if you try to talk about a, a, an issue in the context of a triggering event, your relationship will lose every time because you are not in a good position to talk about something when you're riled up. Ain't going to happen. You're going to not do your best job. So pick good times. And remember that you always have a choice about how you, res- how you can respond. Scripture tells us in Ephesians 4, be angry, but do not sin. Have your emotion. It's what you do with it that matters. <clears throat> First Peter 3 is very, very helpful, I think, to uh, put up at this point, <clears throat> where Peter writes, your beauty should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I find it very interesting that uh, the most recent research being done by John and Julie Gottman at the University of Washington Marriage Lab uh, support this passage wonderfully. Their research shows that couples with the happiest marriages have two major characteristics. Now, follow this. Husbands, one characteristic, husbands who accept influence from their wives. Husbands who accept influence from their wives. Sounds a whole lot like verse 7, to be considerate and to treat with respect or grant honor or cherish your wife. You're able to listen to her. And I've learned over the years that when to listen to Mary's counsel. When I'm thinking of something, when I run it, I run it by her because I know she's walking with God and I'm going to hear from the Lord if I listen. And that's really, really important. Save my bacon a huge number of times. Um, and the other point, uh, in addition to husbands who accept influence from their wives, being characteristic of happy marriages, the second one for wives is what use what the Gottmans call soft startup. And that's when a woman has a concern or a complaint, she enters into the conversation gently. And she says things like, honey, there's something I'd like to talk to you about. When would be a good time? 
And then when they set up a time, then they have a conversation. And she says, you know, I really appreciate your efforts to do this and so, but something would really help me is if you would do this and this. And so thanks for considering, you know, what I would like to see happen. How, how about we see if there's a way to work that out? That's a whole bun better than saying, how come you never blah, blah, blah? Okay? That's a hard startup. Okay? <clears throat> we want a soft startup. And that sounds a lot like verse 4, which is a gentle and quiet spirit. Um, yeah, so, yeah. In James 4, 1 through 3, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something that you don't get. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it, what you get on your pleasures or on your own way. So it says we, these arguments happen because we, we want something and we don't get it. What is it that we want? We usually want something that we lost in the fall, that we, that we lost back there um, when our spiritual relationship with God was broken. So underlying a lot of arguments at a deeper level, not on the level of you didn't take the trash out or, or you're late or that's the, that's the surface level. But underlying it are things like, do you accept me? Do you love me? Do you respect me? Do you value my contributions? Are you going to stay with me? Do I have a voice in this relationship? So a lot of those little arguments are not about that little, little item. It's about these issues underneath. So um, think deeper when something's going wrong. Now, our spouses often do a wonderful job. God has placed them in our life to make us, to, to, to meet our need for love, acceptance, and significant. But if it doesn't happen, if we, we're needing support or something like that, and it's just not there, then verse 3 tells us to turn to the Lord and ask him. Uh, reading that James passage also in the light of what we talked about earlier about desire and demand would be a very, very useful exercise. So I commend that to you. So we're wrapping things up here pretty quickly. We want to come to point four, and that has to do with doing a spiritual ministry as a couple. So in some way, figure this out, whether serving in a Sunday school class. Oftentimes I advocate couples, if you have children, work, work with children in a class just ahead of your eldest child. So you kind of know what's coming. You learn to work with the kids that are just ahead of your own instead of just with your own kid. Work like a, 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 a one notch up. Uh, uh, be a part, you know, minister in a small group. There's a lot you can do in a small group, a community group. Uh, mentor somebody. Be on a prayer team together. Serve on greeters when people come in the front door out here. Uh, usher together. So there's things you can do at various levels to serve God and to minister as a team. Uh, there's something special about that. Yeah, there's individual ministries. I mean, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I, I do worship team. This is normally a Sunday I would have been up here singing. Um, so I, I enjoy that very much. Uh, Mary does meals for various people who need help, so we do individual things. But also do something to serve God together as a couple, because I believe our culture needs to see solid marriages that show people who God is by the quality of their relationship. And if you're always operating independently in ministry, you don't have that opportunity to really demonstrate God in a, as, a, as a couple. So for us, ministry together has involved uh, marriage and parenting classes, doing this kind of thing. Um, we, we've trained small group leaders in our home. 
Uh, we've hosted couples in our home for meals. Uh, we've mentored young couples and families, uh, provided transportation for kids. Uh, we even hosted an international student for a year back when our kids were in high school. Uh, presently, we also are part of the prayer team for the Global Outreach Group, and we set aside a monthly meeting in our home for praying for friends of the family and its ministry. So figure something out. Whatever is your thing, figure that out. Um, because demonstrating God's character in the light of other people, in, in, in front of other people, is a way of demonstrating the image of God found in Genesis 1, 26 and 28 and in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, where we learn that demonstrating the image of Christ, the image of God, is the same as demonstrating Christ in your relationship. So one other way to put this is basically you're living out the first and second commandments in, the, in our marriage relationship. Yeah, so just in summary, pursue God on a deeply individual, deeply personal level. Build time in your relationship to connect because this will keep you from hiding from each other as much. Learn to handle trouble spots because this will keep you from hurling from at each other. And do a spiritual ministry as a couple. So let's just pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, uh, thank you that uh, uh, you've taught us and you've taught many people in this congregation uh, lessons that we need to learn about putting you first in our lives and living that out in the way we treat each other in our most intimate relationships in marriage and in other relationships. And Lord, I just pray that whatever has been said today, that you would enable each one of us to hear your voice clearly in some small but, but distinct way that we could use and be people that are more fully in love with you and demonstrating your love to each other despite whatever difficulties we might encounter. So, God, Lord God, thank you for the privilege of knowing you, of serving you, and of having the opportunity to demonstrate your character in our relationships before a world that so desperately needs you. In Jesus' name, amen.